Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Everybody, welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I'm your host, Frank LaRosa, and we got a special combo show for you today. We're calling this the Advisor Talk Quantum Growth Podcast featuring Frank LaRosa and John Cutton. We're doing a joint podcast together. What's up, John? It's a first, Frank. Yes, this is called We Were Both Going to Interview Each Other and Said, Why the Heck Are We Going to Do This Twice? Right? So we'll launch this on both of our podcasts. And by the way, if you're a listener of mine and not following Frank, I'd say you need to give Advisor Talk a listen. And the same thing goes for you. Yes. So there you go. Yeah. If you're an advisor, listen to Advisor Talk and you want to know a ton of information about growing a business, quantum growth with John Cutton is something that you need to listen to. It's great. The challenge that I think John and I have when we talk on these things is trying to trying to keep the topics and the conversation to less than you know an hour, which is a lot of content in here. But as two traction subscribers, you know, disciples, we did a joint podcast here because we're both trying to create some efficiencies in our time. And so we're like, hey, wait a minute, I was going to ask you the same kind of question as you were going to ask me. So let's just get into it. So I flipped the coin and I'm going to go first. John, just jumping into one of the biggest concerns that I see as a former financial advisor and branch manager, so forgetting about transitions, anything like that, but you know, this market is, is a little crazy. It's all over the place right now. Are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? What's happening with interest rates? They're going to go up. What's going on with the market? From your point of view, as someone that runs a large organization with a lot of advisors, many of which have never really seen, I'll just say a down market let alone a bear market. Many of them come into business post 2009, 10, and maybe thought that they were really, really smart and every stock pick they ever had went up. By the way, and they've never gotten a phone call from a really upset client who maybe lost 15% in their account and calling them after the statements come out, which you know they're going to start getting quarterly statements soon. So be prepared. What are you telling your team and your advisors that they should be doing right now to get ahead of those types of calls that might come in and, and how to communicate with their clients. Hide under the desk, right, Frank? You got to hide under the desk and don't look up for air. No, kidding. So yeah, it's a um, great question. And we spend a lot of time talking to our advisors about things like this. And obviously of late, it's been a hot topic. Who knows? My crystal ball isn't always right, but I think we may already be in a recession. Who the heck knows? And we might be on our way out of it, I'm hoping. So from my perspective, communication, and I know this is simple, but is key. And we have been really, really, really proactive with our clients communicating on the telephone, through social media, obviously through client meetings, whether it be in person or you know Teams or Zoom, et cetera, and then also market updates. In today's day and age, there's so much media out there that it becomes scary to clients. And what's interesting, I believe we've got a very well-trained client base and we practice financial planning and goals-based advice and really focus on long-term investing and diversifying, so on, et cetera. 
But over the last week or two, and by the way, for the listeners, I'm not sure exactly when this will launch, but today is July 1 when we're recording this. Over the last week or two, for the first time in a long time, other than the, you know, the blip, I'll call it, that we had with the COVID crisis, clients have started to call. And I'm sure other advisors are feeling that as well. It was kind of, okay, markets go up, markets go down, but you're starting to feel a little bit of that fear or that anxiety, which is usually followed by capitulation. And capitulation is when clients just kind of give up. And I'm a just a huge believer in, we call it advisor alpha. So for advisors listening in, we know alpha is performance above and beyond an indice that we can help create for clients. I look at it as advisor alpha gets into kind of the behavioral finance end of the business, which is trying to help clients make good decisions when it's hard to actually do that, i.e. don't capitulate, don't move out of the market at the wrong time. We've all heard the saying, it's time in the market, not timing the market, et cetera. So another piece I'd share, Frank, and then I'll stop with my long answer, is one of the things that we teach our advisors to do is to number one, educate clients, right? So to be able to use tools to talk about historically how the markets generally behave after a bear market or after a recession. A lot of statistics say generally the year after a bear market, which is defined as a 20% correction, the ensuing 18 months is generally quite good and the, the first six months is usually best. Doesn't guarantee that will happen, of course, but that's one piece. The second piece is to put things in perspective. So if you really think about it, we go back and we go, what does the last 200 day average look like? And yes, we're all looking at a bear market, which is defined as the correction from the height of the market. So if we really think about it and we go, well, what was the average of the S&P? The NASDAQ's gotten hit a little worse than the S&P or the Dow has. But if you look at the average, we're really only, depending on which indice you're looking at, six to 8% off the average, not the all-time high. So when you think about it from a client's perspective, yes, for most clients, they're likely lower than they were, significantly lower than they were January 1 of this year. But if you go back to January 1 of 2001, for many clients, they're still in the green or barely in the black. So sometimes it's just putting things into perspective for clients. And then the third piece is being really transparent with clients and letting them know it might get worse. And if you're going to be an investor, not a saver, we preach this to clients before they join our firm, historically speaking, three or four out of every 10 years, we will likely lose our clients' money. And that's the way the markets work and kind of defining that reality and giving clients kind of a refresher on, we talked about this, we planned for this and kind of here it is. The last thing I'll say, Frank, is we've got a tagline in our practice, which is coming in really handy. We've had it for over a decade, but it sounds smarter today than it did you know, 10 years ago. Our tagline is that we help our clients to plan for the certainty of uncertainty. So what does that mean? It's certain that things will be uncertain and that's really what I think young advisors, to get back to your question, really need to understand is our job as a financial advisor is not to be the best stock picker or bond picker, or 
401k manager, but it's to help our clients make good, sound decisions when emotions are high and it's hard to do that. That's our job is to be a leader and coach the clients as it relates to their money. That's awesome. And I think that's really smart advice. I think that people tend to overthink this whole thing. We've all seen the studies about why do clients leave advisors? Performance is way down at the bottom. And generally, number one or number two is communication and service. So that's great advice. Having been in the business for a long time as well, I've been through 2000, 2001, 08, 09 as an advisor, as a manager, getting out in front of these things, not hiding under the desk is the way to succeed. And the ancillary benefit to that is if you're able to do that as an advisor and pick up the phone ahead of time, create Zoom calls, so, you know, have a standing Zoom call every Friday, every client can be invited and you're going to talk in general about what's happening, whatever your value pitch is that you talk to your clients about, you can give it to them in a broader message, letting them be comfortable. The advisors that do that will see tremendous increases in their business when they come out of these markets because you are going to be capturing assets and capturing new clients. Because sadly, there are advisors and they're actually not the new advisors. There are some advisors that have been in this business for 30 years and are burned out from this. Oh yeah. They don't want to take those phone calls anymore and they think it's okay to have their assistant, Julie, answer those calls. Yeah. I would share, Frank, our net new money is as strong as it's ever been in the business. So what does that mean? Whenever there's a downturn, money is in motion. And that's what you're starting to see and have been seeing over the last 60 or 90 days. When advisors are hiding, that's where your phone call or your webinar or your seminar or the referral, 4th of July weekend, what do you think everyone's going to be talking about? The economy, the markets, interest rates, inflation. And you want your client to be the client who's going, oh, really? I've talked to my advisor three times. I got to hear a webinar about the market update. He or she called to tell me everything was going to be okay. And I got a, you know, another courtesy email just with a, a market update. When that person is sitting next to someone at a barbecue who's saying, I haven't heard from my advisor at all, all of a sudden that's how referrals occur. Two things, Frank, as you were talking, jumped in my mind. One is the old adage, the clients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's what clients need right now. They just need someone to reach out. And that someone is you as their advisor to tell them we're looking, we're on it. Here's what's going on. And most of the time, this is a really interesting story that I read unrelated to the market, but there's a tie-in to the market. So I played college soccer. I was actually a goalkeeper, believe it or not, with these broad shoulders, all five foot eight of me, but I was a goalkeeper. When there's a penalty kick in soccer, statistically, and I'm going to butcher the statistics a little bit, but I'll be directionally right. It's been proven that if the goalkeeper stays in the middle and doesn't dive to his or her left or right, they'll save the ball over 40% of the time. Their best odds is that the person taking the free kick, the penalty kick is going to shoot it right in the middle. But what most goalkeepers do is they just make a guess and they try to look at the approach of the, the person you know who's going to shoot on them or whatever it may be. And they decide that I'm either going to dive to the right or I'm going to dive to the left. And more often than not, percentage wise, the ball goes right down the middle. So the question becomes, well, why do they choose to dive to the right or why do they choose to dive to the left? 
And it's because they don't want to look foolish and they don't want to look like they didn't try. So they think doing something is better than doing nothing. So we share this story a lot with our clients. And, you know, at the end of the day, in today's market, the best advice may very well be to do nothing, to stay the course if you're properly allocated. Maybe there's a little bit of an opportunity to slightly reallocate. But I love that story because to the typical client of a financial advisor who is not an expert at managing money, otherwise they likely wouldn't have subbed it out to you, for them to be able to think about that and go, okay, I get it. It makes sense because this too shall pass. And generally, when we look at history, we'll move on to greener pastures. I also think that they need to know, be prepared. So two final points on this thing is be prepared. So the one is a practitioner point of view, and the one is a sort of a business point of view. You know your clients are going to call. Know your numbers. So just like a business owner, right? We know our numbers. Know your numbers for your clients. Know what their account was at a year from now, what it was at pre-2020, where did it come from? Well, Mrs. Jones, when you started with me eight years ago, you had $500,000. You now have one point whatever million dollars. So yes, it got to 1.7 and now it's 1.3 or whatever. I'm just picking out numbers here, right? Know the numbers. So number one, to your point, John, that they feel like, oh, okay, you've been paying attention to my account. You're watching it. But also it gives them some perspective because we all know if a client sees 1.5 on their, on their statement, then the next month it's 1.2, they just lost $300,000, even though they started with 500. Frank, it's like my size 34 jeans. Once upon a time, I squeezed into those suckers. They're still in my closet. And I still think one day, maybe that's how I would define success. But that was like on a blip after I was sick for two weeks and didn't eat anything, not going to happen again. So I, I think that's super smart. <laughs> right. The other point of it, this is, and again, it's why I think we have, we enjoy our conversations together as, as entrepreneurs, just are in the financial service space, is looking at this opportunity, put your business hat on and look at these opportunities to expand and grow your business. So what are the things that you can do as a financial advisor right now that will help advance your business? One of them, obviously, is being proactive with talking to your clients. How about be proactive and talk to prospects that maybe aren't getting calls from their financial advisor? Looking at acquisitions. It's in these types of markets that the successful business owners, and even if you're a Merrill Lynch advisor or a Morgan Stanley advisor, you own a business. It's a really a practice, but you can do stuff with it. You have to look at those opportunities. What opportunities does this present for me that I can take action towards? You think about, Frank, super well said, advisors are being pushed when you think about M&A. I've got literally over $2 billion of AUM that we're under LOI to acquire right now, which is crazy to even say, $2 billion of legit LOI signed acquisitions. And advisors are getting old, not say the advisors that I'm talking to are old, but they're old and tired. They don't want to deal with you. Have, you know, we've had a 10 year bull market where you didn't have to work so hard for your clients. It's easy meetings to say, Hey, Frank, how are you? What's going on? Yeah, we were up 10% again last year. Everything good with the kids. I mean, that's easier than the conversations we're having today. So you couple that with assets dropping in advisors, businesses, interest rates going north, speculation, I don't think valuation, you would know better than me, has changed much yet, but it feels like it could and likely will, function of interest rates, function of risk, right? 
So advisors, to your point, are being pushed, right, to go, if I'm going to exit, man, I might want to get out before it gets any worse right now. We're seeing that. And what you said about client relationships, you asked the question about advisors who might not have been around for 20 or 30 years. This is where you cement your relationships with clients. It's easy when things are going well to be a great financial advisor, not as easy to be proactive, be reassuring, give the right hard advice when emotions are high. But when you do that, you build a relationship for life. As a younger, newer advisor, if you can really be there for your clients right now, help them get through a more difficult time, they will be clients for life. They'll have loyalty and they'll know that when things get bad, I want John or Frank or whoever it may be in my camp with me, if you will, or in my foxhole, so to speak. So let's talk about a question I wanted to ask you, and I'm interested to see what your point is, and I can give some input in it. You mentioned M&A and acquisitions of practices that you're bringing over. So how do you see that changing right now in terms of active participants in engaging in M&A, right, sales of their practices? And what's your opinion on advisors moving in this kind of market? People might say, oh my gosh, I can't move. My clients are upset or whatever. They come up with all sorts of rationales why this type of market is not the time to move, which I have an opinion on, but I want to hear yours first. Yeah, sure. So I'll hit them in that order. We actually see M&A, like I mentioned a minute ago, we've never had a, good, a strong of a pipeline as we have right now on the M&A side. So I think that 2022 is shaping up to be even a stronger year for M&A than 2021 was, which was a record year. So each and every year, it actually seems to be getting stronger and stronger from a flow perspective. I do believe that on the acquirer side, the buyer side, I think more professional and regional buyers kind of have a business plan around buying. And I consider myself in that camp. And I think the smaller independent advisor that might be looking to do his first or second or her first or second acquisition may be turning a little bit more fearful because their own business has an impact on their cash flow. They don't have the same level of free cash flow and experience in doing that. The second piece I'd share, which I'm living through as we speak, is valuations from the firms that do practice valuations are dropping. So when you rely on bank financing, again, you have to look forward when you start to think about valuations. So you go back 12 months ago, what keeps happening is every month you're having a good month drop off and not such a strong month come on. The longer that happens, a business that was doing a million, now their new case might be 850 or 900 if they're not organically growing. So I've seen valuations, doesn't mean values. Does that make sense? I think buyers, myself included, are still paying the same multiple and they're looking at you know a TTM, right? Trailing 12 months. But I think when the valuation gets done and you get to that level, I found that the evaluators of businesses are actually showing businesses worth a little bit less, which is what I think will ultimately start to drive prices down. Because then when you go to a bank for financing, one, they're going to finance less because the valuation is a little bit lower. Two, interest rates are heading north. So the interest rate on that loan is higher. No different than you know exactly what the Fed's looking to do here, right, is cool the economy a little bit. So just like the housing market will likely cool as interest rates go up, I think the acquisition market may as well. I don't think it's going to fall off a cliff. 
my opinion, is we might have seen the highs of valuations. And then the last piece I'll share is I think buyers, myself included, are being slightly more thoughtful in how the market fluctuation affects the deal. So deals may be structured a little bit differently where there's a little bit more attention paid to attrition and performance of the assets that are being purchased as opposed to you know, more cowboy, if you will, type deals where it's like, hey, yep, it's $3 million. Here's a check and it'll all work, yeah, and, and it'll all work out. So those are, are the pieces that I'm seeing on the M&A side. And I know you had a second question, but I'll let you comment in a second. I do agree that it's not going to fall off a cliff, M&A activity. I do think that valuations, the multiples will start to trend down because you have to look at if you're a buyer of a business, and everyone's talking about these PE firms and all this stuff, and everyone has their opinions about that. And we're not going to get into that on this call because that'll take another hour. If you're a seller, so put your seller's hat on for a second. The buyer has to look at your future business and the carrying cost to buy your business and which way is your business trending, and then determine whether or not there's a good return on that investment. And if we're heading into, depending on what your opinion is, I think more people think that we're sort of at the beginning of a bear market they have to make an assumption that your business is going to be maybe lower next year or the year after than is this year. So why should I pay as high a multiple? I want to lower the multiple. I think that's going to be a trend. The sticker shock is going to be, if you're listening to this right now and you were thinking about selling your practice a year ago and you're waiting for it to top tick, you're going to be a little bit upset. You know, all of a sudden that offer is going to come back. It's going to be lower than you thought it was going to be. So you may put the brakes on a little bit then you're going to come back six months from now, and I think you're going to get upset again. The reality is if you want to get out of the business, whatever the reasons why you want to get out of the business, whatever reason is you're selling, you're thinking about selling, my advice is don't wait. That's that expression, bulls and bears make money and pigs get slaughtered, right? Yep. Don't be a pig about the deal. Make sure it's the right firm for your clients there are going to be some triggers on the back end. So make sure that you can hit those triggers. If I was just asking about wirehouse deals all the time and well, this firm's paying this huge number, it's like 350%. I'm like, yeah, but if you look at the back end of that deal, and that's not unlike a transition deal or an M&A deal. If you look at the back end of those deals, if you can't hit the number in year four and five, you shouldn't even count it. It doesn't exist. And so take those two years off, whatever's left, that's the real number of your deal. And so if you're an advisor thinking about retiring or whatever transitioning, there are plenty of ways to skin the cat that maybe you don't have to exit stage left right away, but transition. And that's where I've always been impressed with you, John, is that the way you're doing it and the, which doesn't surprise me that you have $2 billion in pipeline is your flexibility to work with advisors on how to do it the right way for them and for their clients, keeping their clients around. And the other part of that question is really, and whether it's an M&A deal or just uh, just someone moving to Ameriprise, where you know, well, cotton, right, wealth, but but Ameriprise or any other firm for that matter, you've been in the business a long time. How do you see transition success during these types of choppier markets? Do you think it's easier or more challenging for advisors to move? My personal opinion is, I actually think it's easier, which is probably a contrarian thought. No, I agree, by the way. Yeah, I mean, really simply put, 
this is where clients need you. So again, let me say it this way. If you're a really good advisor and you've got deep, meaningful relationships with your clients, wherever you go, they're following because this is where they really rely on your advice and they're ultimately looking for guidance and leadership and might even be looking for a different perspective, not necessarily from you, but from a firm. So XYZ firms research, if you're a client, you just lost 20% of your life savings. All of a sudden, part of the rationale for going to ABC firm might be their deep bench of analysts and research as an example. But I think that's the secondary feature or benefit of it. I really think it's a relationship perspective. And if your relationships are strong with clients and they trust you and you've been proactive and doing all the things we said earlier in the call, why the heck would they want to work with another advisor who they've never met, who's going to call them in the midst of a recession and not follow you, who's been with them presumably for 5, 10, 20, 25, 30 years, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, look at 2020, and I can't believe feels like forever ago, but also feels like a- All virtually clients were following. Right. I mean, I never saw so much success, transition success with advisors moving than ever before. It was near 100%. If an advisor left, not in the one we were, the country was shut down, shut down, but right after, so it was like sort of shut down. You couldn't really go to the office. You couldn't really see your clients. We had clients moving and they had a hundred percent success rate with their clients moving and faster than I had ever seen them in the 28 years I've been doing this. They learned how to use technology. This has been tremendous for those clients, but to your point, they don't want to talk to somebody else that doesn't know them. I don't want to have my account handed to somebody else at Merrill Lynch who doesn't know me right while we're going into a bear market. I don't want to have to explain myself over again you know my kids, you know my story, you know my history, you know the struggles we've had, whatever it is, clients don't want to repeat that to somebody else. And they basically say, and you can take this to the bank, and when you say to them, you left whatever, right? They say, okay, just let me know what I need to sign. It's not even a debate anymore. For me, as a a consulting firm and a transition company, it's been a boom for my business because the advisors have had so much success, I can confidently help them and know that it's not going to, their business isn't, isn't going to implode. You know, maybe post 2020, the success rate of an advisor moving their transition in the first year was maybe 85%. Like if you brought over 85% of your clients in the first year, that was a good transition. Now it's maybe 95% now, but I think as we go into a choppy market, it's going to go back up to 100. You were around in, in, in 2000, 2001 and 08 and 09. How was the transition in the recruiting in that market? Yep. I think back then, I mean, that's a while to remember back and to be totally transparent. I don't think I was recruiting back then, you know, so I'll plead the fifth on that, but I I would assume it was similar, maybe not quite as strong because I, with you, I think the, the virtuality of the business right now, that advisor who's calling your client also, if that occurs, depending on where you're exiting, is probably not going out to meet in the office or to go grab lunch anymore. It can be this quick, instead of seeing three people a day, face-to-face, you can see 18 of them, right, on a a video conference. So we've experienced the same things. Two of the last three advisors who've joined us have moved more than 100% of their assets. 
because that's the thing advisors forget as well. You might leave some of the clients that you really don't want to take with you at your previous firm and kind of skinny the client base down a little, but it also gives you the opportunity to go deeper with clients who are now saying, yes, Frank, I'm committed to follow you. It's a good time to talk about their account at the other broker dealer or RIA, wherever it may be. And that's what we find. We just had an advisor join us. I don't want to give too much details, but big picture, he had a family member who had a significant level of assets with him as an advisor and had a much more significant level of assets with other advisors. When they affiliated with our firm a little bit because of our credibility and size, this family member decided to move all of their assets. And you're talking eight-figure numbers that are potentially becoming nine-figure. I'm sorry, nine-figure numbers that are potentially becoming 10-figure numbers, if I'm thinking about that right. So yeah, so I'm going from eight to nine, if that were seven to eight, whatever. You know what I mean? Hundreds of millions, hundreds of, millions of dollars. Yes, lots of money. A shit ton of money. Yes, exactly. exactly. Life-changing money. Shit ton of money is a you know, super good way. That's a technical term. Yes, I like that. That, that, is, uh, that is definitely very technical. You tell that to advisors, and I've had those. I've told advisors that, listen, you're going to use this transition as an opportunity to actually go get more money. And they never believe you. Until you, know, you get a call like, well, since we're making the move, why don't we just move that Merrill account or whatever? It's a tremendous opportunity and you end up getting more of those assets. Listen, Frank, it's an opportunity to start fresh and that gives you the ability to reframe with your client. And the other thing I just wanted to hit that you referenced before that is on my mind a little bit, you know, go back a minute to the kind of M&A piece of things. What I think advisors, you talked about being kind of creative. When you think about succession, I talked about 2 billion in our pipeline. One is about seven deals that make up that 2 billion. One of those is a complete sale. Every other is a sale of half usually or more, but half on average of their business retaining the other half because what they're looking to do is cash in some of the chips move into an ecosystem that they could do more of the things that they want, have other things taken off their plate and be able to grow the business in a little bit of a different way than what they've been accustomed to. So I think if I was an advisor right now who's thinking about, hey, you know, maybe I'll fully retire in three years to say seven years, you know, you think about the landscape right now, who knows where valuation will be? Who knows what BD deals will be? You just don't know where it's going. And you're fooling yourself if you don't think interest rates also have an impact on deals that broker dealers will provide in the future as well. I mean, interest rates drive value. I mean, that's the reality of it when you think about time value of money and all that kind of good stuff. But there's a really big opportunity, I think, like I've never seen before, to be able to kind of dip your foot in, sell a piece of your business at a really good valuation, maybe not the highest ever, but then kind of dollar cost average out of the business, maybe the time to do the rest is in three years or five years or seven years, et cetera. I don't know if you're seeing a lot of that in the industry. I am. And, and I think there's a huge opportunity, if I'll say, speaking to the W2 folks that are listening to this call. Going from W2 to W2, there's opportunity there. You said this earlier, John, about looking and analyzing your trailing 12 because you're going to start having not a great month, which means that you're losing a good month. 12 months ago. 
So your trailing 12s are going to start trending down, which means that even if the deals stayed the same, it's the same percentage deal on a lower trailing 12, you're beginning less money. And your ability to hit your back end bogeys is a lot harder. Right. So they have, to, they have to look at that. Then the other component of it is, which is actually one of the things that I think is going to continue to drive transitions, is in, two, in 08 and 09, this idea of going independent, even though guys like you were around and doing your thing, there was a lot of people that weren't and didn't feel comfortable going independent. That's an opportunity that didn't really exist the way it does today for a W-2 advisor to transition. So if you're looking at your trailing 12 going down, and how do you recruit? How do you keep your same cash flow going? You don't necessarily have to jump from Morgan Stanley to UBS and take that check. Now there's an opportunity for you to take your W-2 business, either go independent on your own, plug into a practice like yours, John, and pick up that margin. So I think there's going to be a lot more activity there with advisors continuing to move because now they can make up the difference in the loss of their revenue from a business point of view by going to an independent platform where they're, you know, they're getting a much higher payout, better margins. So I think that's going to continue to drive activity. Hey, Frank, the other thing I just want to share there, sorry to interrupt you, but a lot of times advisors don't think like this. So when you're on the independent side, the way you control income on a W-2 side is you do more business, which sometimes the market is against you and it's just really hard to control that. On the independent side, you have two levers you could pull. You can do more business or you can reduce your expenses. So all of a sudden you're a million dollar producer at a wire and you're getting a 43% payout rate. And you're making 400 grand. Your business is going to turn into an $850,000 producer because of the market. Maybe you go from 43 to 41 on the grid. I'm making numbers up. So you went from making 430 to, you know, 340. I'm just making up a number. That same million dollars on the independent chassis, say you're getting a 90% payout rate, you've got 900,000. I'm sorry, you're still going to go to 850, but you got you know seven and change. And now all of a sudden, if you want to, you work from your home or you let go of a staff person or you decide to not fund benefits this year or you cut your T&E down or your marketing expenses. So whenever we've had downturns in my 28 year career, most of it as an independent advisor, you're able to invest differently and kind of trim some expenses in lean times if you need to, which I think advisors don't, who haven't lived in that world of independence, don't understand the control that they actually have. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to end it there because I think I want our listeners to uh, simmer on that one. Because even though we're in the financial advisor space and people are giving financial advice to their client investors, Many of them don't understand the financial side of running the business. And so those are great things to think about. But in terms of you know quantum growth in your podcast, for those that are listening, listening to John talk about the business, talk about getting into his mind, that's why he's got quantum growth. That's why he's the largest group at Ameriprise. I think, I don't want to say by 2X, the number two guy or something like that, but- Getting close, almost, not quite there, but we're working on it. Right, but you have this mindset, you have this- Yes, a financial advisor mindset, but you also have this business mindset that gives you that quantum growth. For everyone listening, that's why you should be listening to his show. If you're thinking about looking for a new partner to join, sell, sell partial, whatever it is, we didn't even get into the CPA things. We've done that on many on some of the other calls that you should go back and listen to, but he's a great partner. That's why I enjoy these calls all the time because I learn stuff. So I'm writing notes down. 
you know, I've been doing this as almost as long. So your business is just a little bit bigger than mine, but I'll get there. I see all the posts that you've got out on LinkedIn. looks like you're adding a lot, a lot of folks. So a lot of growth ahead of your way. And I was just going to echo the remarks, not because you did say something nice about me, but I wanted to wrap in a similar way and we'll have a little kumbaya moment. I look at it too. If you're an advisor, most advisors are head down working. They're working for clients and they're busy and they've got family lives and they spend all their time working in the business and very little time working on the business. I think, Frank, what you just said, that's been my competitive edge is I haven't worked with clients in like 12 years. So I do a lot of the visionary stuff for my team and they do a lot of the integration, which makes a lot of sense. But for advisors who are listening in, there are so many opportunities out there outside of where you sit today. It doesn't mean where you sit today. It might be the perfect place, but that's what I really like about your team's approach, Frank, and the advisors that you've brought to us. You show them options and you help educate them quickly on you know what is it you want to accomplish. You kind of take them through a process and are able to show them whether it's independence, whether it's succession, whether it's another wire or regional or you know, tucking into a larger RIA, you've got your pulse on all of the different options and you can kind of speed date as an advisor so you don't have to do all the diligence on your own, which we found when you bring us an advisor, they've already vetted and understand what the value proposition is and therefore it's generally a really, really good fit. So my long-winded way of saying, if you're an advisor out there and you're not looking at options, why not take an hour, learn a little bit about whether or not there are options that could be good for you. And all you do is you invest an hour a week. And for an hour a week, you go, great, Frank, set me up a call with these three companies that we've zeroed in from the dozens of opportunities out there. And then you determine, is there a way to drive real growth, get better resources, drive better economics, equity value, so on, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. We put a lot of time into that. It's a harder way to do it versus saying, hey, you should talk to these two firms and good luck. You know, it's really about helping the advisor find the right fit and ultimately make the right choice for their career, which is arguably next to their family, you know, their their most important asset is their business. And so we take that very personally. I've seen it firsthand where someone on your team or yourself have mentioned an advisor to me and I'll say, hey, what happened with so-and-so? And you've literally said, he or she won't be a good fit for you. I think we found a better fit for them, which is nice because, you know, sometimes, like you said, some folks out there are trying to square peg round hole over and over and over again. And that doesn't work very well. No, we want our advisors to be happy. And we don't want people like you, if we bring you somebody, we don't want to bring you the wrong person either. It's just like taking on a bad client. You should never take on a bad client, someone that you know is going to be a headache, going to beat up your staff. No matter how much money they have, sometimes you just say, we're going to pass. And that's the best investment you make in your team is by saying no. Well, as you said, it's July 1st. We're heading into you know the July 4th weekend, but you and I are both probably still working on our businesses, as we always do, which is why I look tired today. John, I appreciate you being on the show, and I appreciate being on your show, Quantum Growth. John Cotton, which is phenomenal. And for those of you that are listening, you got a doozy today. So you got the dual show, which is uh, you know the first ever or something. I don't know. <laughs> Do we both wrap this up? So thank you for attending another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. Definitely. And uh, check out our podcast. Do you have a YouTube channel? I'm not sure if you have a YouTube channel or not. 
with a face like this, Frank, I try to stay off video. That's all. I try to stay off video. I don't, I wish I had your hair, buddy. You got a good head of hair, man. I'll tell you what. It's getting a little thin, right? Yeah, that's true. I got a head start. I got a, I got a little bit more on you. A little better hair jeans, that's for sure. But anyway, everybody, listen, thank you. Go to Apple, go to iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Quantum Growth and to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Leave us ideas. I'm sure John likes it too when you get questions. You know, hey, can you talk about this in your next show? So don't forget to leave that. Smash that like button. As my president says, Dale Dempsey, smash that like button. It's really important to us, and we hope you enjoy the show. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Frank. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.